Kind of helps if I bring this up here with me. Christmas uh, brings with it a lot of stories and legends. You may have noticed that. You know, uh, sometimes the facts and fiction get a little mixed together. Uh, even in the church, you know, we mix some of, the, some, of the, some of the stuff up as we try to tell the story of Christmas. And of course, in the world around us, uh, we have a Christmas that usually is lacking Jesus. And so, you know, all of those stories and myths and legends all kind of get blended in there too. Uh, one that everybody seems to love is the legend of the little drummer boy. You know the song? You've sung it, I'm sure, has that really catchy hook, pa pum pum you know, it gets you in there. But I think there are some holes in that story. Like, can you imagine a kid with a drum soothing the baby to sleep? Now, now we got a few drummers in the house. When, when you were, you know, young and you had kids in the, in the house, uh, did the drum help? <laughs> in my house, if you walked down the hall in sock feet, the babies were screaming, right? So, <laughs> I don't know, I just have a little hard part with that, but um, at any rate, you know, it's one of those great songs. We love to sing it. It's got a great hook, and it does tell the story of the birth of Jesus. Um, Personally, if I heard somebody drumming outside, I'd be running up going, for heaven's sake, stop drumming. We just got the baby to sleep. There was no drummer boy in the Bible story, but it's a great song. There were wise men. The Bible calls them magi. Uh, they were not kings like we, we just sang, three, we three kings. Um, but the song does remind us of the gifts from the magi to Jesus and what they meant. They remind us that Jesus is God's perfect light. And uh, the part of the story I really like in, in that particular song talks about the resurrection of Christ, the crucifixion and the resurrection, which we very often leave out when we talk about things at Christmas time. The Magi, you, you may know or may not know, the Magi were astrologers. Um, not like the astrologers today, they were not really looking for Sagittarius rising between Capricorn's toes or anything like that. They were uh, not telling vague horoscopes like, you know, a dark man will serve you coffee at Starbucks or anything like that, you know? They were more like mystic astronomers. Uh, they studied the skies and they charted the movement of the stars. Even way back then, they had very good knowledge of the stars in the sky. Uh, when our family visited the Vatican Museum in Italy last month, we saw astrolabes that dated from, from the time of Copernicus, and these were people actually studied with Copernicus, and we saw their astrolabes that they used to chart the skies. And some forms of those instruments were around even as far back as the Egyptian times. And so it's, it's hard for us to imagine that they had instruments by which they could navigate by the stars. So these magi, they would have known the stars very, very well, and they would have known how to travel by the stars. What was different about these men was that they attached a religious significance to the movement of the stars, like many people did in their day. You know, the, the magi are only mentioned once, once in scripture, and that's in Matthew chapter two, in verses one through 12. So we're gonna take a look at that right now. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped at the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now that's the only account we have of the Magi, but it's a pretty detailed account of their journey and, and how they got there and what they did. Uh, we don't even know if there were three Magi because it doesn't really say the number, but we assume that because of the number of the gifts that were given. But it could have been many more. You know, they were carrying some pretty valuable things. And so it's very likely they had uh, some people along the way with them, an entourage of some kind, to, to watch over them and keep them safe. Uh, it doesn't tell us exactly where they're from. It tells us they're from the east. Uh, some people think they come from Chaldea or, or from Babylon. And others think that they come more from Persia and the land of the Medes. Uh, we know that the three wise men were not there on the night that Jesus was born. So often we put them in, but, but here we usually put them in afterwards to indicate that, that you know, the wise men came sometime afterwards. Matthew suggests that the star didn't appear in the sky until the night that Jesus was born. And, and so that's when they actually started on their journey. They weren't there at the end. And it probably took them about two years since Herod uh, ordered all the children under the age of two to be killed so he could keep Jesus from being king. We don't know an exact age. And we're whole told that when they came, they, they came to a house. They didn't come to the stable, right? And so this is long after when they were in a place of their own. So wherever they came from and whenever they came, we do know they brought three gifts. When you think about it, these are really kind of strange gifts for a baby. You ever really thought about that? I mean, really. Um, if it was three wise women, they probably would have brought other things, right? Uh, maybe a new blanket, a rattle, some diapers, maybe a couple of onesies. Uh, you know, at least the gold could be used to start a college fund. You know, they'd have things totally differently. But it, it seems obvious 
that these magi were very familiar with the prophecies about Jesus. They likely learned them from God's people when God's people were in exile. They were in exile in Babylon and in Assyria during those two captivities. And so they were very close to this region, if not in the region where the Magi likely came from. We know that they were exiled and during their exile, they continued to worship God. You know, think about the stories of Daniel, and the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. All those things came during a time when they were worshiping God while still in captivity. And so other people around them, they would have learned something about the Hebrew God. Well, the Magi brought three gifts. Now, I have a gift here. This is probably nothing like what they brought, but, but it reminds me of the gifts that were given. You know, they didn't show up empty-handed. They came to worship, but they also came to give something special. And each of these gifts has special meaning. Like, for example, gold for his royalty. Gold's pretty obvious, right? Because it's been considered very valuable for many, many, many centuries. It was used in the building of the temple and in building the Ark of the Covenant. We know that Solomon was wealthy enough that the amount of gold that he had, if we measured it by today's standards, it would have been about $1.2 billion of income every year. That's a lot of gold. And over time, among the people of Israel, gold became associated with the kings of Israel. And so when they brought this gold, it was really reminding us that Jesus was born to be king. You know, Isaiah predicted in Isaiah 9 that uh, Jesus was going to be the ruler. And Revelation 19 calls him the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, they also brought frankincense. Frankincense to recognize his divinity. You know, incense was burned on the golden altar right outside the veil before the Holy of Holies. And, and it was always burned on normal days of worship like that. But on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest actually, starting with Aaron, actually took the incense inside the veil. Now, incense uh, was a very special part of that worship. Uh, incense is a mixture of, of a number of... of um, of spices and a number of, of uh, you know, perfumes and incenses. Uh, in Exodus 30, chapter 30, or 30, 34, it tells us that frankincense was exactly one-fifth of the holy incense that was burned. And so, you know, there's a great significance here. Uh, on, on that day of atonement, only the high priest was allowed to go in when God appeared over the Ark of the Covenant. And the incense prevented the priest from really seeing God above the mercy seat. And that was important because it said that to see God was to die. And so it prevented him from dying in the performance of his duties. Incense has always been associated with the worship of God in the Old Testament especially. The gift of incense was prophetic because it pointed us to who Jesus really was both God and king and high priest. And when the Magi saw Jesus, it says they worshiped him because they recognized his divinity. 
The third thing that, that they brought was myrrh for his sacrifice. Myrrh is also used in the worship of God. But uh, you might remember that a mixture of myrrh and aloes was brought by Joseph of Arimathea to use in wrapping Jesus' body after his death because it was also used in burial. Myrrh is kind of a resin. It comes from the myrrh tree, and um, it was used in anointing and in healing and in burial. I think that myrrh reminds us of Jesus' mission, the reason that he was there. Um, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 61, um, you, you read what Jesus quotes. Jesus says this about himself, quoting from that verse, the spirit of the Lord is on, is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was God, he was king, and he was redeemer. And those three gifts symbolize his royalty, his divinity, and his sacrifice. When the Magi came to worship the one who the star told them about, they gave gifts to Jesus. With the coming of Jesus, God gave a gift to us, and he gave us Jesus. John 3.16 tells us God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life god gave god gave a gift he gave a gift and jesus is the gift to receive the gift all we have to do is believe in him now that's a step of faith that's a step of faith, believing in Jesus, receiving him as Lord and Savior, and turning from your sins to follow him. Today is a, a really special day. And there are three things I want to encourage you to do today as you go along. I think Kathy suggested some of that. The first thing is step out in faith. Believe that Jesus died for you on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins and that he was raised on that third day. That's that first step of faith. But, but not only people who've never believed in Jesus before. We need to continually take that step of faith and believe. You know, we all go through times of doubt. But God is still there. He never leaves us. He won't forsake us. He's always there. So we too also need to be taking that step of faith. The second thing is to receive or to uh, seek his presence. Look for Jesus today when you're going about your Christmas day. And look for him every day. He's always there. There's, there's always the presence of God. We just don't look for him. We, we've gone through our days and kind of ignored that God is present with us wherever we go. I encourage you today to seek his presence in everything that you're doing. Let him be there at the table with you today. And be present when you're opening your presence. And then the, the third thing is to worship Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, you know, it's interesting, but I found that in the past, it's, it's hard to worship God on Christmas. Uh, that sounds really strange. But sometimes the, the day gets so full of stuff, it gets so crowded, 
that we neglect to worship God in any way. And so I encourage you to take a few minutes by yourself, you know, maybe go off, read a little scripture. I, I find it very helpful to read the Christmas story to myself and just to kind of pray over that. And you might think of doing that today. Let's ask God to be with us throughout the day today and throughout the year. Lord Jesus, thank you for the story of the Magi, these wise men who remind us that you are King of Kings, your Lord of Lords, and you came to earth with a mission, a mission that ended with death for our sins, but a second ending of resurrection, that wonderful promise of eternal life for anyone who believes. Lord, help us to believe in you. Help us to seek you and help us to worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.